Hello and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your host, Liam Edwards, and thank you once again for joining me for the 33rd episode of the show. Joining me this week is a guest who has been bringing you some of the best gaming news for over six years. If you get your news from Eurogamer, perhaps, then you'll definitely know my guest's work. For over four years, he was Eurogamer's news editor, but since 2014, he's been the website's deputy editor, a role in which he's been able to stretch his writing skills a lot more, with some absolutely excellent long-form articles, such as his recent piece on Lionhead. He's one of the best news writers out there, and once again this year has been nominated in the Games Media Awards for his work. My guest this week is Eurogamer's finest, Mr. Wesley Yinpool. How are you doing, Wesley? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm blushing. I'm <laughs> blushing after that incredible intro. Thank you very much. <laughs> no problem. How, how are you doing on this fine day? What, what time is it there for you now? Uh, in sunny Brighton, which is it's relatively sunny right now. It's 11.14 in the morning. 11.14, that's not too bad, uh, yeah. that's not too bad, I haven't, got, yeah. I haven't got you up too early, I hope. Or, oh you, no, no, not at all. You don't do all your work at night, mostly. <laughs> no, no, we start work, the Eurogamer editorial team starts work at 8 in the morning, so uh, early bird catches the worm. For that me. is early, that is very early. Do you do you work yeah. at the office, or do you do most of your work at home? Or? No, I work in the office. Okay. Um, majority of, of the editorial team work in the bright, out of the Brighton office. There are a few remote workers in London, but... Uh, most of us come in. Ah, oh, excellent. That that must. Well, what time do you have to leave to go to work then? That's pretty early. Well, I I live I live in Brighton, so it's I actually walk to work. I only oh, that's live good. Like twenty minutes walk away, <laughs> which is really great. Um, <laughs> some come a lot further than others though. Um, but yeah, eight a.m. is when we when we have coffees ready, getting going in the morning. Nice, excellent. So you've been at Eurogamer now for over six years now. Really, yeah. When I first God. met you, which was a heck of a long time ago, that was like 2012. So you've been at Eurogamer for two years. Now we're in like 2016, going to 2017. That's a <laughs> long stint. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember when I joined, which was um, it was just before the Develop Conference in Brighton in 2010. I'll never forget it because it was the one where um, Tim Schafer, the boss of Double Fine did a sort of keynote speech and just before the um the like a day before i think it was um his keynote speech at the develop conference i interviewed him and this was around the time when this was before that they'd started um doing like smaller games okay um uh, they were still they had sort of come off the back of um brutal legend which was a brutal development for them and uh he had some choice words to say about bobby kotick <laughs> um, Ubisoft, you know, uh, 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 the boss of Activision, Activision Ted. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah, and who at the time was like public enemy number one in the games industry, right? It was like a evil corporation boss, <laughs> uh, Bobby Kotick sort of guy. And uh, Tim Schafer was he was he's he's sort of like a he's a he's a funny guy, and half of the things he says are in jest. Um, but he basically called Bobby Kotick a dick. And um, I was, you know, I was, um, I just started at Eurogamer and uh, it was my first sort of big uh, interview piece. And uh, it, it, you know, obviously caught the attention of, of the internet and the publishing and development community. And um, I remember the, going to the keynote, uh, which was the day after the article went live. And everyone in the the whole place was packed. The, um, and everyone had obviously seen the interview. The fact that Bobby Kotick um, 
that Tim Schafer had called Bobby Kotick a dick and all the rest of it. <laughs> and it, you could tell that everyone was sort of waiting for him to to either backtrack or do the typical video game uh, developer thing. Like, oh, you know, I didn't. This was I, taken out of context. Yeah, or, or, or I didn't. I didn't really mean that. Like, I didn't really mean yeah. it. Yeah, you know? and I was sitting there in the audience waiting for him to <laughs> sort of poo-poo the interview, <laughs> and and I was sort of dreading it a little bit. Um, and then someone obviously asked him about it, and he just completely doubled down and suggested Bobby Kotick got into a different business, something like ball bearings. <laughs> and I just thought, Tim, you're a star. Nice one, mate. <laughs> Have you spoken to Tim Schafer since? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, loads. Yeah, in email, email chats and laugh about it every now and again. <laughs> um, yeah, he's a good guy. Well, he seems to be sort of... Well, I wouldn't say okay doing his own thing, but he's getting by now, um, sort of hopping from his own projects to publisher back to work as well. So I guess he yeah. doesn't doesn't quite need Bobby yet, or he doesn't yeah. need to backtrack too much. It's been I'm pretty sure he'll never make a game for Activision again. That way. <laughs> but there are plenty other uh, fish in the sea when it comes to money, and and I think he would just like he he's just done with publisher funding anyway. Um, in the traditional sense, a uh, long time ago, I think he was done with it. So self-publishing and smaller games, faster turnaround. Uh, that was the sort of double fine switch back in 2010. Yeah. They've definitely done that since. So. Yeah. Well, they've done what? Two Kickstarter-based projects now with Psychonauts 2 and obviously Broken Age. Um, for anyone who's sort of watched the Broken Age documentary, it is kind of a real big insight into how video game money is very small and has to stretch across multiple things. So um, it's super interesting to watch that sort of thing. Um, but sort of speaking about you then, that that seems like a sort of baptism by fire. But before that, you, I forget where it was you were working. Where was it just before you were, you were a gamer? Um, I worked for another video game website called Video Gamer. Okay, um, so what, yeah. Pro G Media. They're based in Croydon. Yeah. yeah, but when I joined Video Gamer, it was in um, late 2007. Uh, again, I'll never forget that because uh, Halo 3 was just coming out and they sent me to the launch, which is this sort of red carpet thing in, in Waterloo. And, I, and I, it was my first sort of like on-staff video game website gig. And I just thought, wow, what, what an incredible industry. Halo 3 was coming out. The first Bioshock was coming out. Mass Effect was coming out. Call of Duty Modern Warfare is coming out. Orange Box is coming out. All in the space of a few months. Exciting times. I'm probably forgetting some incredible games as well. But And uh, yeah, it was just an incredibly exciting time to, to get into games journalism. Really. There was a lot going on. Massive games. Console business was booming. Xbox 360, PlayStation 3 was just uh, incredible. Um, yeah, so, there for a few years. So talking about you then, sort of, you've always been known for being a news writer. Was that sort of always the plan or have you sort of just fallen into being really, really good at that and then done <laughs> other things on the side of that? Um, I guess I've, I guess it's something that I just wanted to um, try and be as best at as I could be. Um, and I enjoy it. I enjoy... So I'm I'm less big on the the art of writing right so i know there are some incredibly talented writers in sort of games journalism who write much much better than i could ever do um when i think about some of the, even some of the people in Eurogame, like christian donnan is just an incredible writer uh and um and to try and 
emulate that. You know, I'm not capable of doing that. I never will be. Um, but for me, it's I I enjoy the sort of uh, the the process that goes into the stuff that happens before the article is written, right? So research, interviewing, yeah, talking to people, uh, going to going places, checking things out, um, finding out information, sort of news gathering technique stuff. Uh, I've always enjoyed that. And then putting putting the article together, I enjoy the sort of headline writing. We I have a lot of fun with our strap lines at Eurogame and with puns and stuff. I enjoy that a lot. <laughs> I have noticed so, on Twitter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's that's the stuff that that I really enjoy and what I sort of try to try to focus on. How um, how do you? Well, I was speaking to Jason from Kotaku, who is obviously. It's, his role was sort of a news writer for a long time, but he's also known for writing, you know, sort of investigative articles, um, sort of very similar in sort of style that you do as well. How do you sort of balance having to, you know, write like daily news um, and and keeping up with the games industry at the same time, as well as investigating uh, stuff for an article, especially like, you know, the Lionhead thing. Was that like mm. in work before they closed down or was that sort of like a we need to get a feature on this sort of thing. Let's do this. Cause that was like a huge quick turnaround as well. I think it was like only two months after they closed that article came yeah. out. So how do you sort of balance like all of those different things? <laughs> um, well, first off, you know, Jason is, is really, really great. He's I think the best in the business at what he does. Um, big fan of his work. Um, in terms of balancing that stuff, uh, it's just, you have to be willing to invest the time and, and it is time. We, the way we sort of try and work here is um, everyone everyone has a sort of like a, 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 a not a responsibility but we're encouraged to report on games in a sort of interesting way and that takes the load off any individual uh, any one individual so it's not like we don't like have every writer has a sort of quota of articles they must meet by a certain time frame or anything like that yeah that's counterproductive. Um, it's more shared responsibility that everyone is trying to report on games and tell interesting stories about them. And if one person is like, right, there's something that I'd really want to invest some time and energy into that's going to take a lot of time, mean that I can't do some of the stuff that I would normally do, that means that there are other people that can pick up the slack and um, make sure that the site is lively and entertaining and interesting while you focus on that big thing. And um, a lot of my colleagues basically did that while I was trying to focus on on the Lionhead thing after they closed down, um, and that's the only way that it can work in an organize a sort of big game website with that needs to have yeah. So it isn't just like site every day. It wouldn't work otherwise. <laughs> You're not just like spending like six hours of the day, like right. Where's all the all, all today's gaming news, and then like quickly blasting out as many articles yeah. as you can, and then like it's for the like next that. four or five hours, like okay, right, Lionhead back on Lionhead. That's that's good. Yeah. That's good team team yeah, dynamic. We, we, we yeah, we're very flexible, and we try to try to work as best we can. And also, you know, if if even if I was um, focusing on a feature. Uh, if something, if there was some announcement that was particularly suited to the, my tastes or interests or anything, then you know I'd just break out to do that. It wouldn't be a problem. So um, you fit it in. You definitely fit it in. 
<laughs> so you've obviously been writing for a long time now. How has the sort of industry changed in your eyes a lot more? You know, sort of this progression towards like YouTube created content and sort of like news like being thrown on Twitter, being almost like immediate um, and articles sort of maybe a little bit being left to the wayside with everyone getting their news elsewhere kind of thing. How do you, how have you seen the industry change? What's like the biggest change for you? Well, I think on the writing side, um, there has been a, 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 a massive change uh, over the last few years. And a lot of it is to do with the, exactly the thing you said. So even if we take out the sort of YouTube um, influ- influence, uh, which has been massive, people sort of get their the sort of basics of news, news announcements and information uh, from so many places now so fast that it's impossible to try and compete with that. Um, Eurogamer isn't Twitter. Eurogamer isn't um, a YouTuber who specialises in a game like Call of Duty or anything. So for us, it's more important to try and offer articles that you wouldn't get anywhere else right and that's where the the sort of the focus on original reporting comes in um that being said it's important to be comprehensive we if nintendo buys sony tomorrow uh, and issues a press release um then we will cover that and we will write about it in an extensive way but hopefully we'll be able to write it in a eurogamer way which means that even if we are writing up story about an announcement or a press release or something that everyone is all other sites have access to will be doing it in a way that's unique and interesting so it's more about trying to tell interesting stories that emerge from games the people who play them the people who make them the communities around them yeah and um turning uh turning like bog standard announcements into sort of eurogamery stories finding the angle and everything we always talk about finding an angle to to a story or the hook to hang a story off um, needs to be something interesting about it over and above just the fact that it exists for us to cover it uh, there's so, so many game trailers that are put out on a daily basis we wouldn't cover all of them but if there's an <laughs> angle or a hook to a game trailer there's something unique or interesting about it that allows us to tell a story then we'll do that so the biggest change for me has just been in the way that we report on games it's We've had to adapt. So, so it's maybe less for something unique. Less about less about speed and more about being that sort of unique voice. Um, yeah, because everyone's going to be reporting the same thing. You want still people to come to your site because of the way you're telling this news, essentially. Exactly. Yeah, you'd like to think that our puns are a reason for people to come <laughs> to uh, Eurogame and news stories, right? I mean, at the end of the day, that's more important than the actual information in the story. So. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so then as a sort of news writer well and now you're you know the deputy editor kind of thing how, how much time do you actually get to play video games um i uh well i, re- I recently had a baby so i have even less time oh, to play oh video no. games than i used to <laughs> that being said destiny rise of iron the expansion came out like a few days ago and I've gone a little feral about it, so obviously my li- I've found some I've found a way to factor it into my life. <laughs> have I t- have I torn um, you Have I torn you away from <laughs> valuable destiny time? <laughs> no, I mean you know I wouldn't be playing it this time in the morning. I totally wouldn't be playing it. Absolutely not. Playing. Not that feral yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, it's. Um, 
it's interesting. I think that the way that games journalism has gone now, that you have to be, you have to play games if you want to tell interesting stories about them. Some stories you will not um, present themselves to you, or you won't, you won't sort of eke them out of the communities unless you're invested in that game. The idea that if we're playing a game like Destiny, for example, and keeping an eye on the subreddit, looking at various things that are happening in the community, doing things ourselves that might be worth reporting on, anecdotes about our play experiences, or just being more informed when players complain about something or celebrate something, or when it comes to interviewing the developers or publishers. Yeah, all of that is all of that requires that we play games. So it is important for us to do that. Um, we're quite relaxed here as well, you know if. If someone is embedded in a game, as as we call it, um, then it's understood that they can play that game, you know, during during work hours. Essentially, yeah, it's part of the job. So, so yeah, we 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 try and balance it out. <laughs> we 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 all have lives outside of games, though, right? Um, uh, yeah, sometimes. So <laughs> sometimes, yeah. Um, I think you're a gamer. Skews a little older as well. So there's a few few um, parents on the team. Um, so there's there are there are strains on our time, but at our heart, we all still play a lot of games. We play a hell of a lot of games. Still. Yeah, well, it's interesting because the list you've chosen is full of like huge, big sort of. Uh, I would say a lot of them are from you know big budget studios such as like EA and Blizzard and that kind of thing. Like, but they're all sort of games that um, last. A long time, like they have a lot of legs to them, um, which is you know perfect for a deserted island. But um, like just looking through the list is like just in an incredible amount of hours to be had whilst playing these games. So I don't know if that's yeah. sort of a thing you like anyway. Having a game that you sort of can pick up for ten minutes and play almost at any time, um, compared to maybe a story-driven title. I think the so if we're talking about sort of desert island situation, you want a game that you. The first thing is you want a game that you can play a lot and it feel different. When, um, and all of these games, I think, have an element of that because you know that the developers are invested in the long run. At least you like to think that they are. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we'll continually update them with new, new, not just new features, update like patches and stuff for gameplay balance, but genuine new, new areas, new features. New, like in the case of Destiny, new whole planets, hopefully, to explore. World of Warcraft has expansions. Um, and even games that have drawn the attention of the modern community, that's, I think, really important for a game if you want to play it for a long, long time. Because when, even when the developers have decided to move on, the modern community can keep games yeah, fresh. Yeah, so there are still communities there. There's a there. lot of that to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we, it's about time we sort of dive into this list then and uh, get going um, on these sort of excellent games. There's so, such strong titles in this list. So why don't we <laughs> dive straight into it? Uh, top of the roster. Real deal, you can see it in my posture. I feel like Leo with the Oscar. The price just changed, no sound with a posture. And I'm not an imposter. My style don't borrow or foster. My enemies will not prosper. Seems like every time they take a shot, they hit the crossbar. And I move like Neymar. Them boys ain't even on my radar. I do my own stunts, no savior. 
That's why I got a stunt so major. They say I go mad for the paper. I think I need a shrink and a tailor. But I do not think about failure. I'm a star, I should get my own trailer. Hype. Every time I'm around, there's a hype. Touchdown and the crowd gets hype. Straight gas got the whole place hype. I'm a bad boy and I do what I like. Every time I'm around, there's a hype. Touchdown and the crowd gets hype. Straight gas got the whole place hype. Okay, so Wes, the first game on your list today, um, we were sort of speaking about it just before we started recording. Uh, it's a series that has sort of, as we, as we were sort of talking about, hasn't, hasn't really changed too much. And when I asked you specifically what uh, version of this game, you were just, oh, just the latest, you know, it's kind of always <laughs> the same. And it's FIFA. So specifically yeah. the newest one, which is coming out uh, in a few days time, is uh, FIFA 17. This one seems yep. a little more different because it has this brand new The Journey mode, which is like FIFA story mode of all things, uh, which, yeah, which is really strange. Weird, huh? But yeah, so the FIFA series is a you know a soccer series, football series from EA that's been around for what since nineteen ninety four, I think even oh God, before that. that long? Yeah, it's a long time. I I think my first one was nineteen ninety five, and you could play indoor soccer. Do you remember that? Uh, you yeah. could you could hit see, the ball see, off I the was, walls. I was always Pez. I never played FIFA then. Okay, so I was always probably or international superstar soccer. <laughs> so you, back in like those versions, I don't know. There was a little more arcadey, and you could have indoor and outdoor soccer. But the outdoor uh, was the pitch just seemed so big, like compared to how big the players were, and it was a weird camera angle. And so the one <laughs> we used to play was just indoor football, and you could like knock it against the walls like the plexiglass and stuff it was a really strange but obviously oh, they should totally add that to <laughs> they should um but since then obviously it's become the sort of the number one like football simulator this is real football we're trying to emulate proper football physics type thing yeah um yep. so please tell me where's why uh fifa 17 is going with you to the deserted island <laughs> well i i love fifa you know, I know it's the sort of the, the massive football game. Uh, and I know Pez this year has done a lot to, to uh, on the pitch in the game itself. That, and a lot of people, I think, make it a better game than FIFA. But I've always been a sucker for those licenses. Um, big, big sort of Chelsea fan. And yeah. They have the whole, they have Stamford Bridge. They have the whole team looking, looking as it should. And they've just got, they've got tons of licensed teams. All the championship teams. Um, I'm, you know, I like. I just like the presentation of FIFA. The visuals are good, and it and it's the the gameplay remains solid even if it doesn't change a huge amount year to year. So for me, it's still my favourite football game, and um, it's just so much to do in an online sense that it it keeps you going. It really does keep you going. Like I play a lot of online seasons. Yeah. So I'm basically trying to climb the climb the league ladder, um, <laughs> and I and I can play a game every now and again as part of that. Have a lot of fun, um, and that keeps me going all year round. And that's not even talking about FIFA Ultimate Team, which I don't get too heavily involved in. 
but uh yeah, that's all, like, like, if that's I was a, in that situation I would that's so. sort of a whole other area isn't it I've never I've never really gotten into that either it seems like too much hard work and to really get good at it in a way you have to spend a lot of money buying packs and stuff which is something I never really wanted to do yeah that puts me off as well I think I think it is viable for you to play FIFA Ultimate Team and have a good time with it without spending money but, but the people you're um, going to be playing against are people who are like FIFA fanatics who are going to be like spending hundreds of pounds like, oh, I want Messi on my team. So I'm going to spend <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of pounds trying to get like a pack with like a goal, yeah. uh, with like a high Messi. Because the, 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 I think it was like their stats vary as well. You could get like really good versions of like certain players. Yeah, and then, yeah you can. Yeah. yeah, there's there's a whole sort of meta game to the pursuit of the best versions of players in, in FIFA and all that. <laughs> And some of them, like there's there's this whole like black market for FIFA coins, and oh. there's actually a really interesting side to FIFA, which is um, the side that EA is basically very uh, upset about, which is the idea that people can spend real world money outside of the game on FIFA coins, and then that affects the economy in the game in, in sort of meaningful ways. Yeah. Uh, and I remember a few years ago they said they were trying to crack down on it, and I just I have I can't see it. It's still such an incredibly vast market for for this sort of thing and FIFA Ultimate Team um, that I don't, I don't know how they can crack down on it. But I stay largely clear of all of that and focus on online seasons, which is a level playing field. Just me against some other player, picking our favourite teams and, and trying to win. That's where I'm at. So what about then playing this sort of game on a regular basis? Do you play with like people in the Eurogamer office? Um, do you yeah, have like a little league big going? Fans. Um, we used to. Um, we don't have. We don't have a league. We used to have a tournament. Um, oh, okay. That sort of fell by the wayside about a year ago, um, <laughs> and um, there weren't that many sort of football fans on the Eurogame editorial team. But um, recently, it's picked up again, and FIFA 17 is 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 played quite a lot in the office. I play it quite a lot at lunch times and stuff. But it's all casual, right? It's just like just go to kickoff mode and play against each other over lunch for a bit of a laugh um, do you always play like teaming up or anything. do you always play as Chelsea no oh no. Good. I like championship good. clubs yes I like, I like sort playing of... as Brighton actually. <laughs> I like the novelty of playing as uh, lower league teams just to see their kits uh, like if, yeah say if you pick like really lower league teams you see their sponsors are like really local brands which I always find yeah, really yeah, funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one of the good things about FIFA, right? It's all officially licensed. Yeah. So you're getting the, you're getting the teams as they should look. Um, but yeah, I, I, every now and again, we pick a five-star team and it feels, almost feels like a different game when you pick a five-star team. Like, it's impossible to misplace a pass. Every shot goes in. Yeah. Plays incredibly fast. That's the sort of problem it's... with the FIFA gameplay as well, because Pez is a little bit more, um, I don't know, structured in that kind of way. Like it, the more I think more reactive things can happen in in pairs compared to FIFA where like if you play as like Barcelona in FIFA it's pretty much just point and shoot at the goal and it goes <laughs> in which uh, is a little a little frustrating sometimes especially when everyone online plays either Barcelona or Real Madrid yeah I think FIFA for a long time had a pace problem where um, pace was incredibly powerful and um, defending was very difficult if you were playing against a team like Real Madrid, which had incredibly fast wingers. Yeah. Um, they've last couple of years they've done a lot to try and combat pace. Although seventeen pace feels like it's back in a 
in a in a good way as opposed to sort of OP way. Although I have to play more of it to be sure. Um, whereas Pez for me feels like it's very much passing driven, and the passing you can ping the ball out in Pez in an incredible way. Like, yeah. It's like the through balls are wicked. Passing is really accurate. It feels incredible. The game more. seems to do what you want it to do. Yeah. FIFA sometimes feels like it doesn't really understand what you're trying to do. Yeah, and like Pez can feel a lot more natural. And it's like, I want the ball to be dinked over to like this guy who's running through. And like in FIFA, like that option is not available. It's like there's like direct lines that you can pass it like a train track almost. The ball follows. Whereas in Pez, it sort of feels a little more natural. Like the ball can pretty much go in any direction. And yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Like, and and that's a long running problem with FIFA. I know they switched the engine this year to Frostbite, um, the engine they used to build Battlefield. And I wondered if there was going to be a massive, meaningful change in how the game worked, but it, fundamentally, it's the same. So, what about the uh, brand new, the journey, sort of the story mode, uh, yeah. Mass Effect conversational tree option? Yeah, <laughs> it's so weird, like. <laughs> The guy, like you play a character, it's like you can't, you don't create your character. I sort of so like that pick. though. I like that. I feel a little more invested. I don't like like um, maybe voiceless characters who. I I like the idea of playing a character, almost role play, like a role playing game sort of. Yeah, I I get that. I think it feels to me like this is like the first step on what can be a much more fleshed out mode, where they actually allow character creation in a Mass Effect style. And it's, remember, characters are still voiced in Mass Effect, even though you create them, and uh, and then you could have like more meaningful consequences for your dialogue choices. At the moment, it feels a bit sort of pointless. <laughs> um, <laughs> Isn't like it you like... can you can you can affect the Twitter followers you have. Like, well done. <laughs> Is um, it, it's basically just like piss people off, agree with the manager, neutral, and that's like yeah. That... You got you can see the Mass Effect influence. It's so funny, like. I think it's like you can play it cool. There's like a monk choice or a fiery choice. And if you pick the fiery choice, you get good more Twitter followers, but you'll piss off the manager. It's just hilarious. <laughs> um, the guy you play as is Alex Hunter, I think his name is. Yeah. Um, he... He's from he's from Cla- Clapham. Oh, okay. I, grew up. I, I so used to I'm live like in Clapham for a, a, short, oh, right. a short stint. Um, um, but isn't he meant to be 17? He doesn't. He like he's meant to be seventeen, but he definitely hey, you, seems you a lot older. You grow up quicker than the mean streets of Clapham these days. So. <laughs> Clapham Common puts hairs on your chest. Yeah, I that place used to scare me. <laughs> <laughs> I used to play football in there every weekend. I used to love it. Yeah, when it was broad daylight, I hope. <laughs> yeah, Clapham now is not is very different to what it used to be. It's a much nicer place now. <laughs> when I grew up there, it was in bits, but. <laughs> that was a long time ago. <laughs> well, then I think FIFA is a a very safe bet for a deserted island. Um, even just by yourself, passing the time, um, and the ball, yeah, and the ball. The pun game is strong with you, isn't it? Years <laughs> of practice. I can't help it. It's basically on command at this stage. <laughs> I have no choice. It just comes out. Well, exactly. So it's I don't know. I. It hasn't been. Cho- I think the only other person to have chosen a FIFA game, um, specifically FIFA, because Pez, Pez has been chosen, but it was Pez Six, a specific version. Um, oh, that is such a hipster choice. Who picked that? Steve Burns and Rob Pearson. Oh my so. god! <laughs> well, there you go. Oh, but FIFA has only ever been chosen by one other, which was Mr. Simon Parkin. So, 
See, you're in, there you go. you're in good company there. Good company. Yeah, see. Well, we're going to move on to the next game now, which is another game. Um, but this game, I think, is a less less pick up and play and more become better after hours and hours and hours and hours of grinding um, on a stick in in a deserted <laughs> island. Um, so we're going to listen to some music for this next game, and we're going to dive straight into it. So just before we move on to your next game then, Wes, um, we need to talk a little bit about the deserted island that you are trapped on. Don't want it to be just any random deserted island. So for the purpose of the show, this is a virtual deserted island. Keeping in okay. keeping with the theme of video games, of course, um, it's a virtual deserted island in which you sort of we you know you're trapped, but we don't want you to be uncomfortable. We want you to be able to waste your days playing FIFA to your heart's content. Um, so we allow you to sort of decide where you want to be deserted, but it has to be our like a place from video games, maybe a world in video <laughs> right, games okay. that you've you've enjoyed, for example. Uh, uh, some places have been like the island from The Witness, um, places in Zelda. There have been all sorts of places. Obviously, there would be no human type NPC characters for you to interact with. But if you choose a place with maybe like monsters or aliens or something, they might be there because you can't. They can't help you escape. Um, so you sort of have to think about it a little bit. Um, is there anywhere that sort of comes instantly to mind that you would like to waste your days playing FIFA and this next game? Does it have to be an island, or can it no, be it like no, just a no, game area? Just a just a deserted place. Just a deserted place. Uh, I would I would pick uh, Yorton in Shropshire, England. The setting of everybody's gone to the rapture. You are which now in the game is actually deserted. You are now the second person to have chosen said place. Ah. Um, PlayStation Access is Nathan Deaton being the other person. Um, okay. And it's oh, it's a sensible. It, to be fair, it's a totally sensible choice. It is already deserted. Um, it isn't dangerous, but it has a uh, it, well. Kind I don't of, think anyone really understands what happened in that game, so maybe. <laughs> but it does have a pub, so yes, it has a pub. Yes, I think it's probably the exactly. smart. It's probably the smartest choice. And you could pull your own pints, isn't it? There's no one That's there true. to stop you going behind the bar. Exactly, that makes it even better. It's like uh, <laughs> it's like the perfect place to be playing these games and just <laughs> chilling. Um, so, <laughs> so you are trapped. Well, you're going to be trapped in Yorton in Shropshire, um, beautiful part of England as well, Shropshire. So, uh, 
Mm. Lots of luscious green fields for you to sort of walk around when you get bored of FIFA, maybe. Very slowly. Very, very. Well, that's unless you find the hidden sprint button that everyone (laughs) went on about for a few weeks. Um, That wasn't even a sprint. It was like a trot. (laughs) It was like like, a jaunt. Yeah, I need to get to the post office, but I really can't be bothered. So I'll sort of walk a little bit quicker than you do normally. The the shop's closing in five minutes. I need to get there a bit quicker. But I'm not going to sprint. I'm not going to (laughs) sprint. I'm just going to jaunt along. (laughs) Well, the next team you're going to be playing um, in Yorton, in your pub, because it's your pub, no one else is there, um, is a game developed by Capcom, uh, released this year in February, uh, produced by the wonderful Mr. Yoshinora Ono, who is a lovely chap, um, who I actually bumped into again last week at Tokyo Game Show. Oh, wow. Um, How's he doing? I wasn't sure he was going. I thought he was poorly. He was, but he turned up, and I saw him him lingering around some of the booths. Um, He did not look very well, I will admit. He looked very tired. Um, And I've met him like three times now, I think. So uh, this was sort of the, the most maybe tired he'd looked. But after the sort of maybe a little rocky start that this game has had, uh, it's not a surprise. So this game that you have chosen was is Street Fighter Five. Mm, you yeah, you are a big choice. you are a big Street Fighter fan, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I've played it for twenty five years now, <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, it's fundamentally like, a bit like FIFA, I guess. Fundamentally, it's the same, but with um, I think the changes from game to game are more meaningful than FIFA because it doesn't come out as often. Um, at least it doesn't now. They sort of ran it into the ground, Street Fighter 2. Um, but, um, well, Street yeah, Fighter 4 had a is... lot of additions as well. So <laughs> Exactly, yeah. They sort of did it again with Street Fighter 4, didn't they? Um, but yes, yeah, I, th- I feel like Street Fighter 5 is like an infinite game for me. I could spend my life in training mode trying to get better at the game and putting that into practice online. No, I, I just it, That would never, ever get old for me. So it would definitely come with me. I don't know if you remember, but when we first met was at a Eurogamer community night way back in 2012. And um, we played Street Fighter 4 against each other a few times. I don't know if you remember. Oh, wow. It was... I can't remember. And uh, Ryan Hart and a few other players were there as well. Uh, I can't remember what else was being demoed. I think it was the new Virtua Fighter as well was being demoed. Um, Oh, I do... I, and, um, I, and I think I do remember. N- Nino Cooney was there as well. There was a demo of Nino Cooney of all games. Um, oh, right. But we played that a few fighting ga- game. Yeah, <laughs> that fighting game, of course. <laughs> and uh, we played a lot of Street Fighter. <laughs> Street Fighter oh, 4. <laughs> so, awesome. So you've moved on. Who won? Uh, I can't remember, actually. I think you did. But, yeah, let's go but I got a round off Ryan Hart, so I was happy. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's impressive. I would never get around. But then he, and then he took it serious and stopped looking at his phone and sort of <laughs> destroyed me. Playing so. one-handed. <laughs> he pretty much was. He was like looking at his phone, down at his phone, while we were playing. I think he's got like the Guinness World Record for the most number of consecutive wins in a fighting game. Right? That is an actual Yeah, I think they, it, they did it for Street Fighter Five or something, didn't they? Like recently. Like... um. It was for an event, a, a launch event for the game, and it was like, was it in Manchester? Maybe, and just hundreds of people right. turned up, and he just beat them all in a row. Yeah, 
Yeah, crazy. Which which Although, I yeah. would I would contend because when I was in university, we had a booth set up for our like gaming society with Marvel vs. Capcom three, and people had to challenge uh. me at Marvel vs. Capcom three because I spent way too much on the game, and uh, the whole day no one beat me. So uh, get in touch, Reinhardt, and we'll. <laughs> we'll see. Well, I think I know my money's on. But, um, go for it. What are you saying, Wes? What are you saying? <laughs> but so you have sort of progressed on now from Street Fighter Four to Street Fighter Five, um, yes. which I think it is safe to say it did have a very rocky start when it first launched. How have you yes. sort of grown uh, to having it as a choice to go with you? Well, the the sort of fundamentals of Street Fighter Five are superb. The gameplay, the the sort of mechanics, the way it plays in a sort of match are brilliant. I I think there's a case to there's a case for it to be considered the best Street Fighter in many respects. It's accessible in a way that the previous games haven't been. Like comboing is actually uh, achievable for a lot of people now. Where if you look at the how you had to combo in Street Fighter Four, it's very difficult. Um, and that puts the emphasis more on sort of mind games and strategy and uh, basically outwitting your opponent. And I actually think that that is uh, a better place for games to be won and lost. Um, I think that's a more interesting, um, rewarding way to win at Street Fighter than I can blow you up with this combo that I've practiced for 10 hours in training mode yeah. so that I have perfect execution. And I've caught you in a vortex of combos that you just can't escape from. I think Street Fighter Five is much more interesting in that regard. So the fund, the sort of core gameplay of Street Fighter Five is fantastic. Um, however, some of the stuff out of the actual matches itself has been pretty disappointing, to be honest. And the game launched with half a game. Yeah, essentially. Uh, and yeah, like uh, I think it, like it it didn't have. There's no arcade mode now when you think about a fighting game most most sort of like fighting game fans aren't really that bothered about an arcade mode they'll play to play online or to play against other people rather than the computer but the it's just such a it's just such a thing a thing that um see is required from fighting games that it not being in there was like a massive omission and there's a lot of people who play fighting games that don't that don't play them online against other people. There are even and people out there who play it for the story, which is weird. Yeah, yeah, I don't get that at all. But, One thing that didn't um, make sense was that it didn't launch with an arcade version, and well, it didn't launch with an arcade mode. But at the same time, it the online didn't work, so the online no didn't one work. could actually the do anything. Were terrible. Yeah, there was lots of disconnections. The the most shocking thing for me. As uh, someone who play like plays fighting games online a lot, is that the game launched without a punishment for rage quitting? And this is like basic online gaming, right? Now we're in 2016 on the PS4 and PC for Street Fighter 5's case. Street Fighter 4 had an online rage quit problem uh, punishment. In FIFA, if you rage quit, you lose. At the very least, you could roll back the result, but. There was no punishment for just basically pulling the plug if you were losing in Street Fighter Five yeah. when it came out. And I just couldn't believe it. Like, what, <laughs> what the hell are you guys playing at? The whole thing felt rushed in terms of feature set. Um and I feel I, I, I think it was rushed because Capcom had uh, set up its uh, uh the Capcom Pro Tour, which is this um 
uh, its big investment in the competitive side of Street Fighter Five. Yeah, uh, and it was due to start, um, I think, in the month that Street Fighter Five actually came out, which was February. Um, and obviously, Evo, the massive fighting game tournament, was in the July. Yeah, they needed to get the game out so that their the Capcom Pro Tour, which is sponsored by Sony, w- could go ahead as scheduled. And I feel like the game was rushed out to to compensate for that, and that's one of the reasons why it suffered such a terrible launch. Which is weird as well. Obviously, it's a PlayStation exclusive. Uh, if you count the fact that it's also on PC, but it is a console PlayStation 4 exclusive. Um, the fact that maybe Sony were like, uh, hey, this seems to be a little lacking. Why don't we sort of change this? That didn't seem to happen. And Capcom just sort of were like, ah, this is good enough. <laughs> Let's just launch it and see what happens. I th- yeah, well, I think that Capcom also made a big mistake in underestimating the importance of some of the single-player-focused stuff in the game. And they have held their hand up since, hands up since the game came out to say that they made a mistake in this regard. Like, there's no story mode. There's this rubbish sort of background story things that you can that came out with the launch, but the actual proper story mode didn't come out until the summer. Um, and just there's nothing really meaning like interesting to do on a single player side. And if you compare Street Fighter to something like uh, what the Nether Realm fighting games, like Mortal Kombat, DC yeah. Universe stuff, they do a huge amount to keep the game to make the game interesting for single player focused players. Um, and Capcom just doesn't seem to bother at all. And I think that that, that they should be called out for that because if, you, if you've got a game like Mortal Kombat, which they invest heavily in a cinematic story mode, but beyond that, there's so many collectibles and things to yeah. do. There's other modes outside the main. They test your mind and the tower test your and all mind. that stuff. There's like there's even like this sort of dungeon crawling game where you in Mortal Kombat. It's great. It's incredible. Um, and Street Fighter, like, I think the comparison is valid. They're both big fighting games. The two biggest fighting games by sort of brand name. Um, so there's there's no excuse. And I just thought it was a mistake. And the launch, the game definitely suffered at launch, sales-wise. Yeah. Reputation-wise. The fact that it's an incredible game under underneath all of that got lost in the din of uh, the complaints around Capcom's publishing practices. And they're still suffering for that now. Like every time I write about it, um, even if it's a positive story about look at this cool thing Street Fighter Five is doing, or this new development, or or even a thing that I wrote this week about the fact that they're contributing money made from the DLC to the Capcom Pro Tour prize pool, all of the comments are the same. They're like, <laughs> Capcom wrecked this game. Capcom hate Capcom because of what they did. Yeah. DLC. Like all this stuff. It's weird because they've also uh, like even building up to like DLC for when Charlie was released. Um, was it Charlie? No, Alex. Sorry, Alex was released. Alex. Yeah. And you've got like Urian coming out and Jury and all that sort of stuff. It's like this super almost sort of nonchalant and a little maybe fragile about actually announcing a date for these things. Like they're like these things are coming, but. We're not sure when. Like it's like almost they're not sure if they're finished or they're kind of wary about releasing something in case it breaks and there's another backlash. It's like they're they're trying their best to make sure everything works for fear of 
the same thing happening again. So, yeah. So they've been and, you know, super... So they should. So they should. That's the way they're going to have to go now. But then on the same um, point, it's like they're announcing things and they're, and they're like, yeah, this guy's like, Urian's coming out. Oh, but not for ages and we're not going to specifically tell you when. And um, <laughs> it, it doesn't like people get excited and then they're like, oh, well, so actually he's probably not coming for a long time or, or whatever. It's, it's all a little weird. And the game seems to sort of be... I've been recovering now that obviously thanks to Evo, Evo this year was huge and um uh you know Street Fighter Five was like on ESPN and all that sort of stuff, which must have mm. helped the game a lot. Um Yeah, I think I saw somewhere that two million people watched it, which is just crazy. Yeah, and that has to sort of convert to sales in somewhat. So so you know, people who maybe weren't sure before because of all the sort of bad press that it was getting, then were like, Oh, Evo, you know, ah, it looks really good now, maybe I'll pick it up kind of thing. Um, so how is sort of now on a regular basis playing online sort of thing? How is it holding up now for you? It all works really well. Um, the, I find matches quickly every now and again, there's, there's, uh, sort of a laggy experience, but on the whole, it's good, it's solid. And, uh, yeah, playing online is a good experience. The fighting game community around it is, is, I would I wouldn't say it's thriving, but it's definitely in good health. Um, there's a lot of interest in tournaments. Every it feels like every weekend there's a major tournament on Capcom Pro Tour, and um, yeah, I feel like it's the the thing about it is I feel like it Street Fighter Five is not the game it could have been. It's almost frustrating um, because if they hadn't have made such a terrible mistakes at launch, this could have this could be something that is right now massive, as opposed to just being a like the fighting game enthusiast fighting game so for me as a fighting game enthusiast everything's fine i'm happy with it it's all going well but i think for street street fighter 5 when i think about about how important street fighter 5 and big it was when street fighter 2 came out and when street fighter 4 came out it was a massive deal again um street fighter 5 just didn't have the same impact so and uh I'm a little sad about that because I am a massive believer in what Capcom does with Street Fighter generally. Yeah. And they are brilliant games. So, yeah, a little sad about about the way it's gone, I guess. <laughs> well, it won't matter too much when you're sort of just chilling in your pub playing training mode by yourself. <laughs> just sort of playing. What, uh, who, which character are you sort of maining right now? Um, when Street Fighter Five first came out, I mained as Birdie who I had a lot of fun with because he's just such a funny... He's a funny character. He's a high-impact character. Yeah. So you can make dramatic comebacks. And, he, you know, he he eats a banana. He throws out little cans. Um, he eats a chili. <laughs> funny, right? Yeah. He's got chains. He's got chains to pluck people out of the air from. I just thought he was fun. Um, but after Balrog came out as a DLC character, I switched to Balrog. I play Balrog a lot on Super Street Fighter 2. Um, and uh, transition to Balrog as soon as he was available. How um, how is he? I've actually written about this, but oh, okay, yeah, sorry. Um, I've actually written about this, but uh, he's not anywhere near as good as he used to be. Let's put it that way. And um, he's got severe problems on defense. Like he just has to basically take uh, the opposition's attack and try and work out what they're going to do. He doesn't have much in the way of fending off people's attacks. 
So Balrog isn't quite as good as he used to be in previous Street Fighter games. That's a shame because... But I'm sticking with him. I'm sticking That's with a shame him. because he was one of the my mains in Street Fighter 4 so for a long time. Um, and I used to really, really enjoy playing him. Um, but I haven't really jumped on Street Fighter 5 too much. I played it a lot at launch, but since then I've sort of not played it at all. So maybe I need to start again. I even bought... It's worth your time. It is worth your time. It's a great game. Do you play with a stick or a controller? Both. Okay. I play with I play with a stick when I don't mind making noise, but I play with a controller when my baby's asleep. <laughs> that, so, oh, that would confuse me too much. Like when I go back to a controller, I'm like, just what is this? What is this? I can't use this. <laughs> it's like being handicapped. Yeah, no, I can I can switch. Okay. If I spend too long with one, switching then is a problem. But if I keep switching back and forth, it's all right. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. They carry over. Well, I think we should move on to your next game, which is another game that sort of had a shaky start um, that's sort of grown into its own. Um, you spoke a little about it, a, a little bit about it earlier. Um, so we're going to talk about it now. So let's listen to some music for this next game and let's dive straight into it. So the next game that you're going to be taking with you, Wes, to your lovely pub in Shropshire, um, is a game I never really got onto, and I played the alpha of it very, very early, and that just put me off initially. And I've never, I've never since got into it, even though everyone has sort of told me uh, it's worth playing now. It's the game developed by Bungie and published by Activision. It released for the, you know. The PlayStation 3, the PlayStation 4, Xbox 360, and Xbox One. Uh, originally released in September of 2014 and is the sort of action role-playing first-person shooter that is Destiny. That recently received its brand new expansion uh, the other day. So, Wes, please tell me why Destiny is going with you. Especially to <laughs> someone like me who has just not played it at all, who just sort of missed the boat with it. Yeah. Um. So... Destiny is a really funny game for me because um, I absolutely love it and I absolutely hate it. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> like all good the, games. <laughs> the, the problems that Destiny has are all valid. It's got some severe problems. But when it's brilliant, it's just so incredible. And there's nothing else like it, really, especially on console, um, that I keep, I keep going back to it. I actually quit playing Destiny for, for half a year after um, the Taken King expansion came out um, because I had a baby and also I just got a bit bored with it. Nothing much changed. Okay. But I recent I recently returned because Rise of Iron expansion came out 
and and I'm I'm addicted all over again. <laughs> and it's such a funny it's such a funny game. So that very base level, the actual feel of it in your hand, like controller in your hand, the feel of the shooting is just brilliant. It's the best feeling shooter I think in the world. Um, the controls are just perfect. The way that the the guns feel, the guns are spectacular. The sound of the guns, the movement of your character, everything just feels brilliant to play. There's so many shooters that you sort of wrestle with. Um, you never wrestle with Destiny. Things just happen as if there's no controller there. It's like you're plugged into the game. Um, and that is a testament to Bungie's developers from the Halo series, which always felt wonderful to play. The, the sort of pace of it is, is spot on. Um, the guns are spectacular. The, the noise of, of the weapons is, is brilliant. Um, so when you pick up and play it, it just it just feels good. And you can sort of like in a mind-numbing fashion just find yourself shooting aliens for no reason other than you're shooting aliens. And there aren't many uh, games that do that that can make you do that um however it's got incredible problems and it's the grind is is real with destiny you have to put you have to do some ridiculous things to get your numbers to go up which is all it is <laughs> at the end of the day numbers um, yeah they're just numbers that are going up like the game has a light level cap and everyone right now is obsessing over trying to get their light level cap up because the new expansion came out and the way the things that you have to do to the things that this game makes you do to do to to progress are just ridiculous. When you when you've played it for a few hours and you think, well, what have I actually done in this game over the last few hours? You think, holy crap, that that was not fun. That was a real grind. Some of the quests to get the best weapons in the game make you spend hours doing my just so boring, repetitive nonsense. See, that's what and I've heard. I'm 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 doing it. I'm <laughs> desperate to do it. It's ridiculous. So that, but I can't stop. That's what I've heard. Like a lot of it is sort of mind-numbing, repetitive, grinding, very MMO. Not even MMO, more RPG sort of grinding the same mobs over and over again, and um, just waiting for something to happen, like either for your light level to go up or for something to drop or something. And yet, people still say. Um, I don't know why. I'm just addicted. I just can't stop playing. Um, I, I don't know because I played the alpha and the and the beta for Destiny before the game came out, and I just I I, I didn't like it at all. Nothing really clicked with me. Uh, it felt empty. It felt a little boring. Uh, at that time, yeah, agree. The guns. I, I think all valid criticisms. <laughs> so what about now then? Like especially coming up to the Rise of Iron expansion. How? Because I remember. It was like Destiny Year 2 or what, whatever they called it, their project to sort of almost reinvent the game a little bit. Um, mm. Since then, with the sort of new expansions, uh, what has what changed with the game that's made it maybe more appealing, especially for like new players? Because now it sort of seems to have that MMO uh, problem where it almost seems too intimidating to start. Yeah, I, get, I can understand that. They do, They do have things to help new players get on. And the grind is nowhere near as bad as it used to be. Like when the game first came out, trying to improve your light level to reach the level cap was just insanely monotonous. It involved raiding 
that gave and and you had a chance of getting a drop uh, for a piece of armor that would improve your light level. And even then, you needed a drop to level up that piece of gear so that you could have the right light level. It was just ridiculous. So like they did do a lot to improve that aspect of the game. The criticism about it being empty and boring. I think I feel like Destiny is a little empty and a little boring. Like the worlds, the worlds don't have much of a sense of wonder or exploration about them. They they are play spaces that you use to improve your character. Enemies spawn, public events trigger. There are chests dotted around. Um, there are hidden collectibles, but what everyone always ends up doing is when these things come out, they go on Reddit, look on a guide, blindly follow the guide to collect all this stuff. No one, the, the game isn't, it's not fun to sort of like eke out these collectibles just yourself. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like Skyrim where you'll stumble upon a cave that leads to a quest that leads to an underground dungeon that leads to this whole thing emerging where there's environmental storytelling and cool, like, uh, markers or things on the wall or anything like that. It's not like you're going to stumble across this like whole other thing um, when you're out and about. People are playing Destiny in a sort of like job way where they're going from A to B for a reason. Once they've done their shopping, then they leave and go somewhere else to do a bit more shopping. It's like that's the kind of game it is. It's functional. It's not like <laughs> It's not like a a wondrous thing. <laughs> however, however, selling it great. <laughs> yeah. However, the raids in Destiny are spectacular, and if you're playing a raid and work uh, with friends, talking all, all over, talking over party chat, or whatever, it is quite incredible. the 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 raid that Destiny launched with Vault of Glass uh, is one of the greatest first person shooter level designs of all time the the play space mechanics the enemies the whole thing is just is up there with the greatest things video games has ever done um and the raids make destiny when you a new raid comes out and you team up with your friends and you all and you all go into it for the first time and you're all trying to work out how it works together failing spending hours like in not knowing what the hell's going on, feeling like the whole thing is impossible. And then someone has an idea, you sort of work it out, you sort of plot how you might tackle the objectives, the mechanics. That is where Destiny is the best game in the world. And that is why we're playing it right now, because we want to get raid ready. Because when the new raid comes out, that's where we're hoping the game will be incredible again <laughs> so almost that's that's where we're at that's how that's destiny <laughs> it sounds weird because uh, obviously mmos sort of follow along the same lines but i've never really heard of people playing a game in hopes that the uh, raid will be <laughs> good or enjoyable but it obviously yeah, must have well. some weight to it because you know all these people are queuing up to sort of grind and i remember the other day there was like error queues and stuff there were so many people playing and stuff was i was in one i was in a queue to get in the, into destiny when rise of iron came out on tuesday and i was over 300,000 in the queue whoa that's yep. crazy that's so crazy yep. i don't know i see every time i see it on sale i'm like do i do i jump in and yeah well if you've got friends playing it 
I still think it's an incredible co-op multiplayer experience. But if you don't have um, friends, and if you're if you're gonna sit there and play it like a single, like like expecting it to be Halo, it's not. It's nowhere near. It's nothing like that. I think I'll, so, I think I'll pass it over. Yeah. Being in being in a Japan time zone is not exactly the most multiplayer online friendly uh, situation. Yep. So, plus I don't know too many people playing Destiny. I remember when I was working at Rockstar, there was like there was two people who were on the Destiny hype train, and they were forever trying to get people into it. And I think. I think when Destiny 2.0 uh, or the sort of Taken King expansion came out, they managed to get a lot more people on board. And now I think there's quite a good group of guys who play almost every night on that game. So it does seem to have been picked up a lot more popularity and sort of traction over the, the past. Because mm. it's only been out for two years, but it seems like forever. Like, I know, but that's games, right? Like Earlier today, I did a story about The Division, which came out in March. March? Oh my God. It seems like it's been yeah. out forever. I know. It's only <laughs> half a year ago. Which is weird because with Destiny, it's like, how many expansions has it had? Four now? It's had quite a few, yeah. World of Warcraft um, has, has had, what, six, I think? Yeah, and this is one of the mistakes Bungie made. They Their release schedule for Destiny at the start was incredibly ambitious, and it was unrealistic. Um, they put out two sizable expansions uh, soon after Destiny 1 came out vanilla came out um and it almost killed them like and game the game got the sequel got delayed they've had to calm down their release schedule just so that they can basically make stuff of meaningful content and rise of iron even rise of iron it feels a bit like a stopgap um because they've only had really nine months to make it the original plan was for destiny 2 to come out now um, but that got delayed, and so they needed something to come out to fill the gap. Even Destiny One was delayed; like that was supposed to come out in 2013. Yeah, the whole 10-year plan was leaked online when um, Activision got into a little fight with uh, Respawn over Call of Duty. So the the original 10-year plan was Destiny One, major expansion the next year; Destiny Two, major expansion the next year, all for 10 years. And that went out the window after about <laughs> three months. Well, the rate they're going, it's only two years in. By the time it gets to the 10th year, it'll be on what? It's 20th expansion or some nonsense? Yeah, that's not going to That's not gonna keep. Yeah, which would be... So... Especially if the gameplay continues as maybe as stunted as it sort of is in terms of the rinse and repeat nature and then maybe getting like one good morsel of food now and again with a really good raid. So I can't imagine that being a sustainable model. Mm. Well, I think um, Rise of Iron will be the last meaningful expansion for Destiny One, and then and they'll get they're all pretty much working on Destiny Two to come out um, in time for Christmas next year, probably September next year, if it doesn't get delayed. Yeah, yeah, because there was a there was a lot of reports last year about Destiny Two and the sort of development of it. So, do you how do you feel like Destiny Two? Or will it be like this whole entire revamp? Um, I I think so. Okay. I think the whole thing needs to be completely revamped from top to bottom so that they can satisfy people who want the halo out of them and also the people who have been playing it and loving it for what it is. It's a big challenge, but it's bungy, so 
Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. Wow, I think it's about time we move on to the next game, which is another huge multiplayer online title and one that has seen some troubles during its time, but has tend to be loved by many and has also recently received an expansion uh, this month for the, well, the very end of last month um, for the game. So let's listen to some music from this next game and let's talk about it. So moving on from another sort of online-based title to another, uh, this one being a solidified master sort of of its craft. Uh, it's the developed by Blizzard Entertainment MMO uh, that released all the way back in 2004. It's been around for such a long time now. I yeah. recently received a brand new expansion called Legion, which I have been playing and incredibly just enjoying it incredibly. Um, it's the World of Warcraft. Wes, please tell me why the next game you're taking with you is World of Warcraft. <laughs> well, I feel like, you know, if ever there's a game that you can feel confident will last forever, it's World of Warcraft. <laughs> it's It seems to have... In, like I know there aren't as many people playing it now as at its peak, but if you compare it to every other MMO in the world, it still dwarfs them. Um, and so you can be confident that Blizzard is going to keep investing in this game. Remember, the amount of money that's generated by the monthly subscriptions must be enormous. So yeah, it's not like uh, it's not like this game is dwindling in any sort of commercial sense. Well, it, so it's even uh, even even just hitting on that sort of no. It's like uh, Warlords of Drainer didn't do very well. Sort of drove away a bit of the fan base after some really large numbers. Um, but still, Blizzard put like all of their efforts in even on their lowest numbers ever, and bought out Legion, which has been a huge success and is a great expansion. And that's brought back, I don't know, like 3 million players, which is just yeah. huge, so big. Yeah, and like Blizzard is one of my favorite video game developers. I would say they're one of the top three developers in the world. Yeah, agreed, um, agreed. Be- because they do, they're, they're sort of like, the, their ability to create um, quality um, that is accessible is unparalleled they've got a real eye for making a game that people can pick up and play but has an incredible amount of depth that people will spend years um like fussing with essentially which is what world of warcraft is it's a game you spend years (laughs) fussing with um and uh and and world of warcraft is that perfect example um i have i'm actually a lapsed world of warcraft player okay i i played i played world of warcraft more than I can, I think I played any other game when it first came out. 
and stuck with it for a few years and then sort of drifted away. But if it came to the point, if it, if I ever got into the situation where I was actually on a deserted island and uh, that was the rest of my life, World of Warcraft is the obvious choice because I know that it would be a game world that would keep fresh for a long time to come and it's just brilliant. So. Have you been playing? I can't think of a better game for that situation. <laughs> exactly. Have you been playing Legion? Have you had time to play? No, no, I haven't been playing Legion. But um, Ollie Welsh, uh, Eurogamer's editor, it has been, and he wrote a fantastic article recently about about the expansion. He did. It was why he thinks it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and I read that, and everything about it just it pulled at me. Like, you know, I'm not going to compare it to drug taking, but it was a bit like that. <laughs> I was just, you know, it's, it's it's something that I wish I could go back to on a daily basis. Let's put it that way. See, I'm I'm one of the small minority who sort of enjoyed what Warlords of Draenor bought uh, in the expansion, and but there seemed to be others who maybe didn't agree so much, and I sort of enjoyed it. So I was looking forward to Legion, but Legion, what Legion has been doing, and how cinematic and sort of uh, story driven it is, is so much fun it's so exciting to play and so mm. much stuff happens with some like really major characters in the sort of warcraft lore um loads of sort of entwining sort of stuff happening with characters changing sides or maybe sort of having things happen to them and um on top of that just all the sort of gameplay changes like the demon hunter class i just i don't even i can't even imagine playing another class now because the way they move and just their their skill sets and movement is just so much fun and uh, just it's almost like playing a MOBA inside of WoW, just speeding around really quick and uh, it's just so much fun. Legion has just been an absolute joy to play since its launch. I've heard incredible things about it. It does feel like it's the best thing to happen to World of Warcraft in a good few years. Absolutely. Um, and I'm actually um, a bit I. I actually quite like the the warcraft law me too um, me too <laughs> at one point i was at one point i'd read up about the history of the universe and all the I... old gods and titans and stuff and at one point i did have it all in my head <laughs> i had it all ordered and sorted and I, timelines I, and all the rest of it. you're a man after my own heart because i actually find the law for warcraft to be actually really cool and really quite deep and detailed, especially when you go back into the history of like some backstories of some of the major players in in the in the world. And Legion is sort of it coming full circle because one of the sort of first ever characters, one of the Titans, um, Sargeras, uh, is sort of he's now like the bad guy, and it's all come sort full circle and. Isn't he like the ultimate bad guy in the whole? Yeah, universe? so he started the Legion, like the Burning Legion. So he is the, but he was like, I, he was like one of the super, super, super good guys originally. He was like one of, yeah. one of the Titans who protected the whole yeah, of the realm. And he, and he fell. Yeah, that's what I remember. He and he was corrupted essentially. Yeah, he, he fell. Not only corrupted, not only corrupted. He basically just became the embodiment of evil. <laughs> like entire yeah. darkness was just down to him. And so yeah, so it's all essentially around him and the Legion, and it's really good, really, really, really good. And I can't, I really can't praise it enough for what they've done compared to sort of taking the sort of issues that people had with Warlords of Draenor and sort of the content. Uh, 
and the dungeons and stuff like that wasn't as strong as maybe previous expansions and now they've sort of taken ideas that people had and they're like okay so we're going to work really hard for this one and they've always already shown good signs of progress um to how legion is going to play out over the next few months or so uh, and hopefully it'll just be fine with chris metzen leaving it's always a little i think a lot of people are like oh no what's going to happen with blizzard and stuff but i'm sure it'll be fine i'm sure it'll be fine yeah, I mean, he's been there a long time, um, and his influence has been incredible. He's he's pretty much. I completely understand. Yeah, what he's doing. Like, <laughs> he's 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 got a few pennies in his pocket. Let's put it that way. Well, he's carried and, uh, he's carried the like Blizzard have become the studio they have sort of under his and a few others sort of stewardship. Like he's been the guy who's been carrying them. For a long time, and, and I think a lot of people feel he is responsible of almost every decision, which is obviously not true, but a lot falls back on the law perspective. I think, yeah, like, yeah, he he had that much of an impact, not just on World of Warcraft, although that was his main thing. Yeah, but Starcraft, Overwatch, and everything. everything. Yeah, he's like the law master. <laughs> so I imagine that takes a good weight on it, especially with Blizzard having the player base and fan base that it it does for all these games. Um, it's crazy. So, are you are you gonna are you gonna pick up Legion at some point, or is this a deserted island play in the this pub? This is a deserted island situation. The- like my <laughs> wife, if I ever tried to play World of Warcraft again, I think my wife would divorce me. <laughs> she almost divor- she she almost left me last time I played World of Warcraft. So it wouldn't be a very good idea for me to get back into it unless I was in a deserted <laughs> island situation. Okay. If the whole world, if the whole world basically goes Mad Max, and I'm left going like going feral in in a village. Uh, in you know Shropshire, then that's the, <laughs> that's the situation where I'm playing World of Warcraft. <laughs> you gotta hope that is the only way it would happen. <laughs> you gotta hope the servers are still on though. There are some like group of survivors who are <laughs> keeping the World of Warcraft servers going. As long as that's the case, yeah. <laughs> I'm actually quite, quite the way, now I mention it. It's quite fancy actually. No one else in the world but me playing World of Warcraft. It's quite nice. Oh, uh, it, you'd have trouble raiding. I know, but I could mine. And I used to mine a lot and pick flowers. <laughs> no one would, no one get in my way picking flowers. No one point. would get in your way. It's it's all for you. The whole of Azeroth yeah. is yours, as well as exactly. the whole of the entire of the earth as well. Can you imagine playing World of Warcraft <laughs> on your own? It'd be awesome. Just every server is empty and just you wandering dance through. around naked, and you wouldn't have to be ashamed about it. Well, we're going to move on to your next game now, and it relates back to the choice of deserted place you have chosen. And it's sort of the only, um, uh, not maybe the only, but it's one of the very few on this list that is story-driven and a bit more of a single-player experience, short and sweet kind of thing. Um, So let's listen to some music from this next game by the excellent uh, Jessica Curry, and let's talk about it.
So the next game on your list, Wes, is the game developed by the Chinese Room, uh, sort of the the well-known studio for bringing games like Dear Esther and Amnesia and Machine for Pigs out. Uh, it was released for the PlayStation 4 as well as the PC in uh, August of 2015, last year. And it's set in the wonderful Shropshire town of Yorton, and everyone has disappeared. Very much like this show, there is no one around. Um, there is a jaunt button in this game, a secret jaunt button, a secret get to the shops in five minutes span. It's uh, everybody's gone to the rapture. Wes, why? Why is this game going with you? I think this one is because it will remind me of of home. <laughs> um, like there's. I didn't grow up in a village in Shropshire, England. I grew up in Clapham in London. But this is the most British, this is the most English game I've ever played. <laughs> this is like, like the whole thing just feels like mid, Midsummer Murders to me. And uh, and I love, it. I love it. And what it would do is every now and again I'm feeling like, oh, I'm alone on a desert, deserted island and uh, I miss, miss home. I would just walk around... Everybody's gone to the rapture, <laughs> and it would make me feel a bit better. I think that's the reason why I'd bring it because it would be a bit like, oh, I'm going to the pub, or I can play on the swings, or <laughs> I can open a fence door, stuff like that. I think that's the only reason because I've, I've played it through, I've played the story, and uh, I'm not that fussed about collectibles or anything. Although I still don't understand what those ra- the radio numbers are all about. I don't think anyone's worked that one out. Um, I've, I, I've really not got deep into this game. I have it on my Steam list. And I've like played... I don't know if I finished it, but I certainly played it for a little while. And Do you not remember like hearing um, a di- like a voice coming from radios just saying numbers? Oh, yes. And I remember watching remember a video that? about it as well. Like someone trying to... I can't remember, though. It, like Yeah, like I remember when the game came out, there was a group of people on the game's Reddit, subreddit, who were trying to work out what the hell it was all, it all meant. And I don't think they ever did. I should follow that up and try and find out. Maybe speak to the developers about it. Because uh, I was always like, what the... Why are you... And I still don't understand. Like, to be honest, I finished that game. I played through it. I finished that game. I don't... I, it's like... It's like the ending of Akira. Well, no one really understands what happened. <laughs> like, it makes no, no no real sense at, at all, and uh, and that's fine. Like I understand that it doesn't have to explain itself. Um, and I know, but I'm not one of these people. who's like, well, the meaning I take from everybody's gone to the rapture is this and this. I just, I've got nothing. I'm like, what just happened? I have no idea what happened. But I loved it. I enjoyed playing it. So it was emotional. <laughs> Is it a worthwhile pick for you? Like sacrificing other games just to sort of feel a little homely? Especially now well, especially I, now yeah. you know that you're going to be actually in the game world to be <laughs> So, yeah, I would be... Right, now I know I'm in the game world, it would be a bit weird, wouldn't it? It'd be like, well, <laughs> that's a bit messy. Now I'm it? playing it's it for the story. and I don't I'm, understand I'm that. I'm playing... Everybody's gone to the rapture while I'm in everybody's gone to the rapture. <laughs> um, yeah, it's probably not the most smart choice in the context of me being in Yorton. But then, you know, I, sp- I, I could suppose I could continue the, the quest to solve the mystery of the the, num- the numbers that are s- said on the radio. 
And I'm so dumb that that would take me forever. That would take me until the day I die. It'd be my life's work. I could like leave it all in a document, and someone would find it one day and be like, "Wow, someone, someone solved it." So that would keep me going for a bit. Yeah, you could be the first person to sort of find it. But would you want to know the answer just in case it was some horrible doomsday, heavenly apocalypse <laughs> problem? The answer. The answer is the is the clue to getting off the getting out of yorton okay i know i'll agree to setting up that kind of game i think that would be fun you're the only that's how i get out that's it you are the first guest to sort of have the chance to escape um <laughs> but whether you will or not whether you're smart enough to get off yeah is another I'm thing i'm pretty sure i'm not i'm, I'm doomed <laughs> um, how, how, yeah. how do you sort of feel because we saw sort of, i sort of spoke about this uh on the last episode how do you sort of feel about this sort of uh, sort of renaissance of walking simulator type games like this and Firewatch, uh, Gone Home and that kind of thing. Are you, are you into those types of games or specifically is it just this one having that sort of English vibe about it? Yeah, I'm certainly not into those types of games, but everybody's gone to the rapture just clicked for me. It was the setting at first, but I also love the mystery of it, like the kind of uh, weird uh, sci-fi elements I'm a sucker for all that kind of stuff. Um, everything about the game looked really great in the run up to its release, and I um, and I just thought it, I just thought it looked fantastic. Also, at the time, I was looking for something I could play where my wife would basically play it with me, even though she would, she doesn't play games. Yeah, and she watched me play the whole of Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. I remember it, some of its. I'm not going to spoil anything, but some of the more important uh, dramatic story moments she was in tears like it was that good for her to watch and um so there was a lot going for it at the time that i played it last year um was it last year i think it was yeah last it was last year, year. Was last year yeah it was last year um yeah because we played it on ps4 so i had a good time playing it um my wife had a fantastic time watching me play it. Um, and <laughs> she like, why are you not moving like, faster? Hates... Why are you not moving faster? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, just, I feel like it was, uh, it was a nice antidote to some of the games that I was playing at the time, like Destiny, and um, which is an all-encompassing sort of online game with no sort of story. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was, it was like, it was a really nice... It, Game to play. I played it, finished it in over a weekend. They're always Perfect. nice. They're always nice games, aren't they? That sort of just sit down, spend a few hours, and then you know you're going to finish it. You just sort of have a nice experience while doing so. Not unlike a big RPG, also like Destiny, where you don't know how long you're going to be playing it for. Do I play it for like an hour? Do I play it for six, seven, eight? Like, and then your weekend's gone, kind of thing. Or it's nice to have games. I sort of enjoy. I'm starting, especially the more I get older, I'm starting to enjoy games where I know, like maybe in four or five hours' time, that they'll be finished. Yeah, that's definitely appealing to me right now. Yeah, like uh, although Destiny isn't really like that. No, but games that you'll be like, ah, oh, you know, if I sit down for this, maybe for an evening, but you know, maybe tomorrow, not well, maybe not tomorrow, but like, you know, in a few hours' time, late tonight, I'll have either become close to the ending or I'll be finished. It's, it's always sort of nice, especially like, you know, you're just adding, oh, I completed this. That satisfaction of not having too many games uncompleted, like unfinished. Um, I always do enjoy a lot mm. the satisfaction of having completed a game for once instead of leaving yeah. a big 
40 hour rpg after like 32 hours or something yeah yeah i try to finish games that i play um but the kind of games i play these days they don't really have an end (laughs) (laughs) i think that seems to be more of a more popular kind of game now it's sort of like games that don't really end that's kind of bleak isn't it well good good for a deserted island we live sort of in a, a era of gaming now where a lot of games are competitive so they don't particularly have an ending, especially like MOBAs and fighting games or sports games and that kind of thing. Like even shooting games as well, you know, Call of Duty and Battlefield. There's a sort of a never-ending progression system to all of these games. Um, and people just sort of enjoy being a higher level or a higher number than other people instead of maybe yeah. sitting down and actually finishing a game in, in, in its entirety. Um, you know, which is a little... I don't know, maybe strange, but people like what they like, I guess. Well, it's obviously the predominant thing right now. Yeah, because every game is like that. It seems so. It's the it's the way to do things. I I get it. I totally get it. Like, um, it's a- when I was playing World of Warcraft back in the day, I was obsessed with keeping up with my friends. Yeah, making sure that I was raiding uh, religiously to the point of it being like a job, so that I could get the gear that i needed to be the best character that i could possibly be there's something appealing about that process even if when you think about it it's really really boring it's 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 weird Um, because even in a sense i think it still just carries on from people who like want to be the best at video games or like carrying or like watching people who are very good at video games and we sort of live in a culture now where obviously competitive games sort of foster a, a almost acceptable atmosphere to do so like if you're really good at league of legends let's see how high you can get in like rankings or something but like even back in the day i don't know about you but i used to go to like friends houses to watch their brothers like speed run super mario or like yeah. how fast they can breeze through like the first few bosses in like Mega Man x or something and it's like whoa yeah. that guy's so good at video games i want to be like that guy and then you can still go home <laughs> and practice and uh, i think it's just sort of a, a natural continuation from that sort of attitude yeah yeah no that makes sense i guess we all want to be as good as we possibly can be in all walks of life and games on the different and we do live a video game, especially the video game industry. Well, not the industry, but video game culture is definitely a culture of being the best. <laughs> Everyone wants to yeah. be the best. So that really is hardly a surprise <laughs> that most of the games yeah. uh, are games where people are allowed to be the best and be better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to talk about a game now that maybe doesn't require you to be the best, but requires you to be the smartest, maybe, and the most strategic, and and to wipe out your enemies. So we're going to listen to some music from this next game, and we're going to talk about it.
The next game on your list, Wes, is a game developed by Relic Entertainment and published by the now defunct THQ, uh, and now it's been passed over to Sega. Uh, it was released for the PC in February of 2009. Uh, wow, that's a long time ago. Seven years since this game came out. Um, a sequel for this game was recently announced with an excellent, awesome trailer for it. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but it was a super CGI trailer. I did. Oh, it's so certainly good. one of the best teaser trailers. Yeah, it's, it's an excellent trailer. One of the best trailers of this year, for sure. It's uh, Warhammer 40,000 Dawn of War 2, the awesome sort of RTS strategy game. Wes, please tell me why Dawn of War 2 is going with you. <laughs> um, so I think, so it's interesting. Dawn of War 2 is a really, really interesting game. Dawn of War 1 was, for a lot of people, the perfect Warhammer 40k game. It was a fantastic real-time strategy game. It had base building, massive armies. It was gory, gritty, um, and everyone, all the races were in it eventually via expansions and whatnot. Yeah. And um, for the sequel, Relic decided to strip away much of the base building and uh, make it feel a bit more like um, a hero kind of game where you had five ultra-powerful hero units. Uh, some of them were squads, so they might have like five soldiers with them. But there was basically no base building in that game. Yeah. And it and a lot of people criticised it for that um, because they wanted basically Dawn of War 1, but with better graphics. And um, I don't look at it like that. I look at Dawn of War 1 and Dawn of War 2 as almost like companion experiences. Like, if I want the base building, I play Dawn of War 1, which is still a fantastic game. And then if I want the more hero-focused um, experience, um, then I play Dawn of War 2. I feel like uh, we often get into a game, like, gamers or whatever, can often really criticise developers for doing different things with, with games, with sequels, as if it means that they are somehow scrubbing from history everything that they've done before. Yeah. As if they've somehow um, erased all the good work that they've done in previous games. Um, and I don't think that's fair. I think I don't think you should look at games that who's in, in a series that don't come out every year, so they're not annualised or whatever. Games like Dawn of War, where they, there is a decent amount of time between each entry. I think it's um, you need to look at each game almost like as a collection of different games in the same universe. That there is room for them to have different mechanics and play styles. And you pick the one that you want to play at any given moment, depending on what you fancy, right? Yeah. It's not like... Um, it's not an and-or situation. It's not like because Dawn of War 2 is a different game to Dawn of War 1 that all of a sudden Dawn of War 1 doesn't exist. You can still play it, and it's still fantastic. Um, so I find Dawn of War 2 fascinating. Now, that being said, um, it's it's not the best pick, I think, for a deserted island because the it can start at endgame when you've sort of maxed out the campaign. Yeah. It can be a bit repetitive. But the game has a fantastic co-op mode sort of last stand co-op mode where you can team up with players and fight against waves of enemies and that is inherently a, a, just a blast even if you've like maxed out your 
the the sort of arm, the heroes on offer. Because they because they could like level drive, they so. could level up, didn't they? They gain like experience. Yeah. They were almost like Diablo characters, kind of. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. There was a lot of that to it, actually. Yeah, it was a very different game. But um, I'm a I love the Warhammer 40k universe, and it was the best realization of the Warhammer 40k universe for me. Um, the graphics are still fantastic. Um, the sound of it is brilliant. Like when you've got um, when you've got like a Terminator squad, the sound of it, the dread sound of a dreadnought is brilliant. The sort of thumping on the battlefield, yeah. The sound of bolters in that game is just wicked. <laughs> um, orcs, orcs sound the way they should, which is basically like gangsters from the East End. It's all, it's it's just it's just a brilliant, brilliant game, and uh, I can play I can play it single player and have a lot of fun with it, and I can play it multiplayer and have a lot of fun with it. I think there's a lot to it. And uh I feel like it's looked down upon a lot by sort of RTS fans, but I'm picking it just to sort of make a point really that sometimes sequels that do different things shouldn't be so heavily criticized. A, a political choice almost. Yeah, yeah, I'm making a stand. <laughs> like the last stand mode in the game in the- <laughs> I'm making a stand. <laughs> it's just surviving as long as you can as one of the squad members. So, who, which of the exactly which of the squads did you play then? Because you had like you had Force Commander. It was like Tarkus. Uh, I, f- oh, I forget the yeah. rest. I always had a soft spot for Avatus, who was like the brainless heavy weapons dude who you always sat behind cover. It was firing. They were like the devastators. Like, heavy weapons. They? Yeah, he was just so. The not the set like he had like a focus fire ability, which meant the um, the heavy bolters just f- fired incredibly fast and a huge amount of damage, and the noise of it is just incredible. When everything's kicking off in Dawn of War Two, and then you trigger that, it's just like it's just brilliant, and like orcs are tearing up, Eldar are tearing up. It's just really really great. So I've got a soft spot for Avatus. Excellent. Uh, Dawn of War is this kind of Dawn of, well the Dawn of War series sort of this thing I always want to go back to and sort of always play every time I, so someone even mentions it when it's like a game that sort of goes out of your mind and then comes back for me like instantly you're like oh I have some really good memories of playing that with friends or I always want to go back and play it but I've yet to I think maybe I haven't played it in maybe like five or six years so Th- it's good. It's still worth coming back to. I, think- I know that Dawn of War 3 is coming out soon. Yeah. So it might be worth a refresh. So next year, maybe before Dawn of War 3 comes out. Yeah. Which, if you haven't seen the trailer, the teaser trailer for Dawn of War 3, go check it out because it's, it's really fucking good. It is. <laughs> it's, it's super incredible. It's, it's out. It really nails the universe. It absolutely does. Like, it's just absolutely nails the grim, sort of relentless, not, pointless. Like, not even, Warhammer not even that, just like the sort of... I think what people don't understand about Warhammer is like the scale. Like the battle doesn't just happen on like their sort of lower end, but like you have all these units fighting at the bottom, but then you have these huge like Titans and just massive units fighting side by side as well. That oh, just the scale and the verticality of how those battles play out in Warhammer. It just nails it. Excellent. It's brilliant. Excellent. They job. really know what they're doing, Relic. They do. I love them. Well, we'll see next year with Dawn of War 3. Maybe, maybe, although you will still be trapped there, maybe I'll send you a copy of Dawn of War 3 and be like, hey, Wes, <laughs> this you. turned out to be really good. So. <laughs> will it arrive in a bottle? 
Well, no, no, because we're in a village, aren't we? Well, I don't know. It depends. I could give pigeon. you. I could give you a PC version with the ISO on it on a USB in a bottle. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> or you could, because because one of the things about everybody's gone to the rapture, I don't think any, I understood either, is that even though everyone was gone, there were still animals floating about, like there were birds and stuff. Mm. So you could send it by carrier pigeon. I could. Or train a fox. Train a, a raven. fox. Go, go Game of Thrones. <laughs> Send a raven. The ra- yeah. the ravens are here. Maybe they have Dawn of War 3. <laughs> oh, it's a patch. Yay. <laughs> if it was anything like, you know, Street Fighter 5, you'd have to have thousands of ravens coming all the time. So. <laughs> Yeah, you could send me DLC characters by Raven. Uh, well, we're going to move on to a, a, another game now, which um, didn't have too much trouble when it came out. There was a lot of, I think, a lot of people had some bug issues, but that, that's no surprise for a game from Bethesda. So let's listen to some excellent music from this next game and let's talk about it. So the penultimate game on your list, Wes, uh, the second to last game that you're going to be taking with you is the game developed by Bethesda Softworks and directed by the wonderful Todd Howard. Uh, it released almost a year ago. I can't believe we're almost getting on really for a cow, year. Really? Yeah, November 10th of last year. So we're 11 months since that game's launch, which is incredible that time. <sighs> time flies <laughs> it's the action role-playing game that pretty much just sold uh, what like 13 million units within like the first day or something and um, set in the post-apocalyptic boston in, in the year 2287 it's fallout 4 where's why is fallout 4 <laughs> the game that's going with you fallout 4 is so fallout 4 isn't the best fallout game and it's certainly not the best bethesda game it's got some major issues around the story, the dialogue, how the mechanics work of quests. Lots and lots of issues that I agree with. Um, it's still got that sort of Bethesda open world magic, which yeah. is the sense of exploration. And the f- one of the things that I think they do better than most is the idea that you are um, in control of, of a universe and that you know that you can take command of it and become the dominant force in the universe. And Fallout 4 is no exception. Like You can eventually become so powerful that there is nothing in that world that can touch you. Um, so I, it's, not my, it's not even my favourite Bethesda game. That's probably Skyrim. Um, but um, this is the game that I'm picking because of the point I made earlier about modding. Um, I feel like Fallout games um, get great mods. 
Yeah. Um, and Fallout 4 has been no exception. There are a huge number of mods available for Fallout. And some people have done some incredible work. Um, now, there's been some incredible work with Fallout, previous Fallout games in the modding scene. Skyrim has had some incredible work. People are like making whole other games that are better than some of the expansions Bethesda has made for these games. <laughs> um, based on like Fallout New Vegas and Skyrim. That hasn't really happened with Fallout 4 quite yet, but I expect it to. And I expect that in the next year or coming years, as everyone's sort of waiting for Bethesda to make the inevitable Skyrim 6, or not Skyrim 6, Elder Scrolls 6, um, that people will take Fallout 4 and do some incredible things with it. Like I'm expecting some massive uh, mod, fan-made mods that are add scores of hours to the game that completely change it in meaningful ways that make you want to come back so that you can play the game all over again and it feel inc- completely different so i feel like fallout 4 is a game where that i think would be perfect for a desert iron situation because the modding community even though it's a, the game hasn't been out a year yet like the modding community is going to do some incredible things with it and it will just be a game that will last for a long, long, long time because of it. So for me, it's all about the mods before that. Unfortunately, that does mean you won't be able to take the PlayStation 4 version, of course. <laughs> yeah. As you, I could take the Xbox One version, though. You could take the... You could. Um, such a strange choice oh, by man, yeah. Sony to, to yeah, not well, allow that. There's some, there's some debate about... So all we have at the moment is Bethesda's strongly worded statement pointing the finger at Sony. Sony has so far refused to comment. Not that we haven't asked, but there you go. And the sort of prevailing wisdom about the reason for this is that um, there's a lot of proprietary stuff on the PlayStation 4 that Bethesda doesn't like because it means that mods won't work properly. Okay. For example, audio on Sony's proprietary. Um, so they have their own sort of system for that. And then they have limits mod they would have in like triggered a limit on the size of what the mod could be whereas there isn't really one on xbox so bethesda's decision well to put the the reason for it happening you can say well a lot about the playstation 4 and sony is the reason it's not happening and but you know we don't know the ins and outs of the conversations that that, that had you know it looks like bethesda didn't really want to compromise so and you know you could argue that's fair enough right if you want mods then you have to allow anything to be on the system exactly uh, yeah and that's what you but but that causes its own problems like if you look at mods the fallout 4 mods on xbox one half of them don't work half of them make your game crash half of them corrupt your save <laughs> because because they let anything goes like pc like steam so, yeah, so which people so, have a massive yeah. problem with sometimes like there just could be an unholy amount of shit on there exactly um, to be honest a lot of them are all about sex and naked characters and porn and all this stuff, so really. yeah so if Beth- if bethesda maybe had like an internal quality um team so i've seen this argument yeah you know that the suggestion was that maybe that sony was like well yeah okay but you kind of have to test all these mods because we're letting them on our platform like their mini games and bethesda probably didn't want to do that because there are like a thousand, a thousand <laughs> there are a lot yeah a lot um, of dev you know, um, so. a lot of dev time that would have taken up so 
Uh, well, yeah, so I just don't yeah. see it. I just don't see, yeah. So for me, it's the PC version, which is the ultimate version for modding, right? Yeah, it's the easiest one, and you could potentially make your own as well. And and oh, I'm rubbish. <laughs> I would not be able to make. You've got a lot of time on your hands, though. So you know, if, <laughs> if there was like something wrong with the game that you were like, I need to get this fixed, and there's no mod yet, you could. Right. So could in a, in amongst playing all of these games on the desert island, I'm teaching myself how to program. <laughs> Yeah, but you don't have. While trying to decode these radio signals from everybody's gone to their rapture. Yeah, I, 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 I think you underestimate just how much free time you will have. It's it's uh, <laughs> it, it's a lot. It's pretty much the rest of your life every single day. Wow. Um, I, I I'm not sure how much Street Fighter Five you can play in one day, but a lot. Well, then I can play it all day. <laughs> well, then all day long. <laughs> Well, then you can just enjoy the mods that other people um, yes, have chosen. Um, just to sort of talk about Fallout 4 itself then as a game, how, how did you feel Fallout 4's story and all that sort of stuff um, compared to maybe other Fallout games like Fallout 3 and that kind of thing? Or is it just specifically like the stuff that you can fuck around with in the mods? Yeah, it's. I thought the Fallout 4 was okay. Um, I didn't think the story was anything to write home about. I don't think the game world was particularly inspiring. Um, some of the characters were great, like Nick Valentine, um, who is like a synth detective, is fantastic. Um, he's, a ro- but then, he's a robot dad. He's awesome. He is. He is awesome. But then the game has like got crap characters like Preston Garvey, who is just a pain in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> um so and and i like i don't even know what the, i finished that game i uh, don't even know what the story was um i couldn't tell you what the story was for that game I, like who cares it, it had some um, interesting interesting parts like um i, I won't spoil too much because obviously it's still a relatively new game but i think there's a bit where you sort of are you like retracing you're like having like memories implanted in you or, and you're going through like a weird dream. The fact that you can't really remember suggests it wasn't. That no, memory. I can't. I can't explain uh, what it is. It's like you go to that woman in that place to have like brain oh, therapy, yeah, and you go through like a weird out. dream sequence of like that that guy, and it's like all yeah. in a weird dreamscape, and you're walking through and going to for okay. set piece to set piece, and you can sort of modify the sort of set piece while the characters are talking. I thought I was. I think my main issue. No, was I cool. think my main issue was less to do. I think it was more to do with the fact that none of the dialogue choices, the dialogue choices, didn't seem to impact on the way a quest would play out. If you play Fallout New Vegas, it's an incredibly um, reactive game that presents so many different methods of completing quests depending on how you tackle them. Like the things that you, the dialogue choice. I'm all about dialogue choice in these games. I max out my speech skill and charisma and all the rest of it. Yeah. Because I want to, I want to explore how I can change the outcome of quests through speech. I think that's a really interesting way to play these games. And in almost all circumstances in Fallout Four quests, it didn't really matter what you said. The quest would end up with a shootout. You would just end up killing people and pick up the pieces after. Whereas if you go back and play something like Fallout New Vegas or Fallout, or to a large degree, Skyrim, you can change the outcome of quests in a really, really meaningful way just through speech. Obviously, you can go in all guns blazing and that will have its own effects, but I just didn't feel like Fallout 4 had the re- 
the sort of flexibility in its quest outcomes to make it feel like you were making meaningful decisions. Um, yeah, like, I know that yeah. it was the first game that had the voice acting for your character uh, in the Fallout series. I think it might have even been the first one, Bethesda Game Studios game, where it had that. And uh, I think it, it was a it was the wrong decision because that forced them to sell a more. I think that that restricted the flexibility things that of outcome in the game world, the main quest, and also the sort of individual quests, because they had like obviously voice acting uh, to 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 factor into everything, and like you'd have a dialogue wheel, and there would be different things that you could say, and they all ended up largely meaning the same thing. Yeah, there wasn't massive like difference in what you could say. Like yeah. I agree. No, I don't agree. I'm not really sure, or what, or what do you mean? And none of it really made a difference. Uh, so I think there were some real problems with Fallout 4, um, but I just feel like it still has that Bethesda magic in in terms of like an open world that you explore. And I still love the Fallout universe. It's one of my favorite game universes. I love the post-apocalyptic nature of it. Yeah. I love the fact that it can be funny. Um, I love the environmental storytelling. I love like stumbling ap- across some skeletons huddled together on a bench that are like 200 years old. <laughs> tell a story of a poor old couple who just got incinerated when the bombs fell. Yeah. And I love the burnt out cars. I love the idea that the world is... That people have sort of survived and lived in this world for 200 years, but no one's bothered to clean up. I just love the the whole point of it is just brilliant. I love the fact that Fallout World exists. It's it's a great world. It I feel like sometimes it maybe gets a little boring to look at for me, but I love just walking in one direction for ages and just stumbling across things like those games, as especially like Fallout Three and Fallout Four, are so full of secrets and just full of nice things to find um, yeah. and just stumble upon that. Like uh, one of the things I find special about those games is uh, especially when you buy them maybe day one, although you might suffer technical problems, but no one knows everything that's in there already. We live in an age where everyone can spoil everything almost instantaneously. Uh, but with games like Fallout 4, no one's explored everything yet. So if you tend to like walk in one direction, you'll find stuff that maybe no one's spoil or said yep. anything about and you're like oh they actually it's like almost like a real discovery you're finding something for the first time for yourself and no one's told you about it or no one's told you to go looking in that direction for something and you'll find something um and like like npcs haven't told you to go looking for something like it feels like you're truly like discovering stuff in the world and i have always enjoyed yeah. that about the fallout games um especially mm. fallout 3 uh, which is a game I got incredibly addicted to for a long time. Yeah, um, yeah, me too. I loved it. <laughs> well, we're going to move on to your final game now, which is getting back on the sort of more competitive, play forever um, style of games. And it's a game in which I, as talking about games that I'm addicted to, um, it's a game I got addicted to for a very long time and a game I had to actually just quit and put down because... <laughs> It was just too much uh, after so a while. Um, even with the tagline, deceptively simple and insanely fun, it's far more than that. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to listen to some music from the last game here, and we're going to dive straight into it. 
Oh, it's good to see you again. Pull up a chair by the hearth. So the final game that you're going to be taking with you, Wes, uh, to the wonderful, bright and colourful, pub-filled world of Yorton is Blizzard's card game, addiction, drug, bonanza, <laughs> Hearthstone, Heroes of Warcraft. Wes, why is Hearthstone the final game you're taking with you? Um, I, I, like so many of the games on the list, I feel like it's eternal. And I just can't see it getting old. The um, the the interesting thing about Hearthstone is that um, the rate of change is 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 and is uh, and power creep has is been a real issue for this game. So they had, I think, a lot a, a drop off in players who just sort of started getting a bit bored of the meta. Which had fallen into the trap of being quite there'd be established decks that would do well, and yeah. if you deviated too far from that, then you couldn't really have much fun. Um, and I think they acknowledged that that was the case, um, and they've really sort of stepped up the effort to add new cards to the mix. Um, but crucially, they've done a really smart thing, I think, which is they have stripped away certain cards um, from competitive play, essentially, um, and uh, returned the game to a, a place where it feels a bit more like the uh, first year of its life, where it was a bit easier to sort of have fun without being relying too much on established meta. Yeah. Um, and they've they've put all of this crazy stuff into wild, right? Where uh, you can every card is available, which is fair enough. But it means that there is a place for people like me, who are relatively casual Hearthstone players, yeah, who are playing it for fun as opposed to the relentless like, climb on the ladder, following the play. horrible meta which changes every month that yeah. you have to keep up with, and it's an absolute nightmare. Yeah, so. I think they've done a smart. I think they've done a really smart thing in in keeping in doing more to keep players on their toes, but also allowing it to be played by people um, using. Because they ran into a problem where they were having to add new cards to keep the game fresh. Well, it's funny and, actually, but, the, it's... but to get people to play these cards, they had to be really powerful. And so previous cards would just never ever be used. It's funny. It's a real problem. It's for funny them. you say that because one of the problems I find with Hearthstone and one of the things I feel like it's 
horribly in this sort of routine of every month a new meta comes out, a patch comes out, and then a new meta comes out, and then people are just sort of following the same thing, playing the same decks, which is ultimately, you know, really boring, um, is it doesn't have enough cards yet. It just doesn't have enough. Like, if you compare it to, like, Magic the Gathering, which has over 16,000 cards or something, but even, like... Does it? Wow. Yeah, so, but even... Obviously, obviously you can't play all of those cards sort of in a competitiveness. You can play a set. So, in a competitive Magic, you can play, like... It's, like, two sets, which is, like, four blocks of cards. Um, So, you can play up to... I think it's, like, over a 1,000 cards which is like the competitive standard then. So that means there is a lot of variety. Some cards are powerful, some aren't. A lot of cards have are like crap, but they have like good synergy with other cards in a, in a, a deck that is focused on one thing. Um, whereas, what, Hearthstone hasn't reached a thousand yet in total? So, All right. so that's like, and, and, you know, in Magic, that, the, that thousand changes every year because new sets come out. So, two new blocks come out every year that's a new thousand cards every time so the magic keeps fresh all the time because it's releasing so many cards and understandably in a video game having to get that work like compared to like paper cards is obviously extremely difficult but the fact that you know wild is a good idea having people allowed to just play anything they want but that should be the case anyway, because the game doesn't even have that many cards. The more you limit people, the more it's going to be easy for people to find out what's good and then just keep using mm-hmm. that. Just keep using that. When you've only got a limited amount of options, you're just going to exhaust all of those options until you find which one's the best one. Um, whereas mm-hmm. the more cards you have, the harder it is for people to find what's good because they haven't tested it against everything because there's more variety. So yeah, I guess I guess like Hearthstone is still a relatively new game, right? Yeah, so it's like so what two, three years position. old now. So yeah. yeah, whereas Magic the Gathering, has yeah, been obviously, for a long time. exactly, yeah. So I feel like, but with Hearthstone being as popular as it is and the amount of money it's generating, you feel like maybe there'd be a push to have more stuff. But obviously, every time Blizzard release something towards Hearthstone it has to have like almost kind of a single player side to it so I imagine that just takes up more time um, mm. you know all the wings well, and stuff I think um, I think Blizzard has demonstrated a willingness to at least try to keep the game feeling fresh um, and that's that's encouraging to me that's the kind of thing that would, means that I would include this game because yeah. again like I, I just believe Blizzard is in it for the long run well, and the game's hugely popular. Yeah. and it's obviously generating a lot of money for them. So, like in a few years' time, that game is going to last be, a long time. Yeah, in a few years' time, that game is just going to be like the perfect card game. It's going to have so yeah. much work to it, and it's going to have so many players that uh, it's just going to be excellent. <laughs> just in a few years' time, I can imagine it just being one of the best card games ever made. Um, but yeah, for now, it's like I. I got into it so much and I got addicted for such a, this was like a year and a half ago now. So even, you know, time has passed since then. Um, but I was like climbing the ladder. I managed to reach legend once and it was oh, like, wow, I never managed. That. Oh, it was the most stressful experience of my life <laughs> because <laughs> it's once you reach that, it's, you want to keep that. You want to keep there. You, you don't want to fall out of that. You want to be able to turn on your sort of client, 
of Hearthstone and be like, hey, look, 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 I'm like ranked legend. And then every month it reset and you're like, oh, I've got to start again. And then the grind to get to the top and, oh, it's so stressful. <laughs> and you have to play for like four yeah. hours a night or something. It's, I just had to stop. <laughs> I was more into arena. I was always more into arena. See, arena was a lot of fun, but then I would find myself playing arena and like, I'd be like, well, this is not as productive as like trying to reach legend or something or trying to grind the ladder, which obviously is not a good sort of thought process to have when you're playing the game. It's meant to be fun, but it did sort of start to feel like a little bit of a job. Like I'd come home from Mm -hmm. like testing video games all day to then trying to grind a, to get, try and grind wins to climb a ladder, like a virtual ladder. So I don't know. It's just after a while. Just I had to had to give it up. <laughs> I think Hearthstone you can play in small doses and get a lot out of it. It's it's a good game like that. It's a it's a great lunchtime game. Yeah. Um and and like one of my colleagues Tom Phillips still plays it at lunchtime every now and again. Yeah. Well. Um, so. I, maybe maybe one day I'll go back. Maybe. <laughs> maybe i just can't say I, I probably i always do with blizzard games anyway so i just i've been burnt so much i still feel a little sick when i when i when, it was like you had a real like, oh it was horrid time. so it was, it was is it like your vietnam or no it was just like it, it happened at a time when i got like a football injury so i, I like sprained my ankle not sprained my ankle like i splinted my ankle or something and i was off work for two God. weeks and i got into hearthstone and then from then it was like six months of like every night playing like it was like basically like World of Warcraft addiction, but for Hearthstone instead. So you know that sort of feeling you have about World of Warcraft. It's, yeah, it's sort of exact. I can definitely. That's it. That's how that. I feel about Hearthstone. And it was like because my girlfriend was playing it as well, so I had an excuse to spend like hours and hours and hours playing it without being told off. <laughs> essentially so i would play it for like five six hours every night and not and not do anything and it would just be like playing ladder matches trying to like and just like researching like hearthhead or hearth or just hearthstone websites and just trying to find stuff out um but yeah it was a it was a horrible time <laughs> well it wasn't a horrible time but it was when i when i look bad at it i i can't remember being very happy because every time i'd lose i'd get like really annoyed like really really annoyed i'd be like this is just this is not what i want (laughs) i want to be and yet you kept and i kept doing it but then i can't remember why i stopped oh i think it was because a new expansion came out and i just could not be bothered to research the meta I'd, i'd got so sick of learning every card and learning all the sort of matchups that i could um, and that when a new expansion came out, I was just like, fuck this. I just can't be bothered. I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, and so I just stopped playing it and put it down. Also, then I moved to Japan, so it became a lot harder to play. Mm. So, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> sounds. Is it big there? Uh, it, it has become quite big because it's only just launched in Japan. So, but oh. I, like, when I was at TGS, when I was at Tokyo Game Show last week, uh, people standing in queues, like, obviously in Japan, mobile gaming is huge. Um, but we're standing in queues here. You could see, I don't know, five or six people playing Hearthstone. So it's definitely catching on. I don't think it's going to be like the biggest like thing in Japan, but like at least it's got a player base here, which is strange for Western games. 
Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. Sounds overdramatic, but it really was like an addiction for a very long time. And I've not gone back to it. Yeah, I still play Magic fairly often. And I find that fun and less of a less of a grind. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm not sure you should go back to Hearthstone. No, I think... It sounds like I think, you had... Uh... I think I'll stay. I, th- I think I'll stick to magic, and I think I'll stick to like World of Warcraft or something instead. <laughs> well, I totally ruined your final choice, Wes. So I do apologize. No, no. I'm glad you know I could help enable you getting that off your chest. Yeah, and I'll send you the bill. <laughs> well, Wes, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today, and your choices have been such a joy to talk about as well. So thank you very much for coming on today. You're welcome. It's been a lot of fun. Um, so before I let you go, I have to ask you the last question that I ask every guest um, before I send them off to their banished place. Um, <laughs> in your case, a very nice pub in Shropshire. So that's not too bad. Uh, so if you sort of had a choice of any console you could take with you, including like the back catalog, so you think about how good the games were for that console, barring PC, so you can't take PC, but if you could take any console with you, what console would it be? Um, I would probably take the PS4, to be honest. Yeah? Just because, well, a lot of the games that I've picked are on PS4. Um, I played Destiny on PS4, Street Fighter Five on PS4. Um, I played Fallout 4 on PS4. Everybody's gone to the Rapture on PS4. Um, it's It's got sort of backwards compatibility, via playstation now um, technically yes which, isn't, which it technically which isn't great but it would mean i'd be able to play a lot of ps3 games that i used to like uh and it does have some ps2 classics on there it, well it's starting so, to it's starting to get some like uh um what is it rogue rogue oh forget it. a really good rpg uh oh uh, yeah, yeah by level every five. now and again one yeah. comes out anyway um so there's there's a little bit of that um, does it have PS1 games? I don't think it does. Either. No, it doesn't have PS1 games now. No, that's a shame. Um, but I feel like I would get a lot out of it. And I feel like uh, like it's got access to the internet. So I would have that. Well, you'd um, have that to play games with other people, but not to, yeah. not to communicate with anyone. So No, 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 but just to play games with other people. Yeah. So it can do that. Um, I don't think it's going anywhere. I feel even though the PS4 Pro is coming out, the P- the original PS4 is still going to be a valid console for a long time to come. So I feel like it would be a good pick. Are you like expecting? Do people normally pick like some retro console? No, so I think I think it balances between. Am I picking the boring practical? No, so are you surprising because like the PS4 is still obviously quite a young console. So the back catalog isn't there yet, but obviously of this current generation, it is easily the strongest. Um, so oh, yeah. it's definitely getting there, but it's maybe not quite reached the heights of the PlayStation 2 or the Xbox 360 in terms of uh, huge oh, back catalogs. Not. But it, I no. think by the end, it might it might do. I don't think it'll have as many games, so. um, but it'd definitely be up there, especially in comparison to the Xbox One uh, and, of course, the Wii U. Um, 
But yeah, no, uh, I think people sort of balance it between nostalgia. Some people have chosen like the Super Nintendo or the Sega Mega Drive. Um, but, you know, strong, See, strong. They're just all hipsters. They're retro hipsters. I don't know. The Super Nintendo still had a lot of games. A lot of games. Wow. Uh, yeah, they're mostly rubbish though. Whoa, 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 whoa. I, th- I'm, I think it's about time we end it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like the PS2 obviously had a, a lot of games. Like almost that, a lot of rubbish games. Then a lot of third-party rubbish. Uh, the Nintendo DS yeah. as well, surprisingly, has a that's a good hell, hell of a lot of games. Choice. Both if you choose yeah. the 3DS, then you, you know you have the, the DS library as well. Um, yeah, the Xbox 360, choice. of course, just had an abundance of games. A lot of it yeah. trash, but a lot of it. I think the Xbox 360 is a good choice. Yeah, yeah. but the PS4, sticking with the PS4. I think so. Yeah, I think I'm making. I'm making an. an the logical boring choice then i feel like it would be the best <laughs> then the ps4 is yours to take with you as well as the eight games that you've chosen today was so thank you so much for coming on and before we let you go how about you tell the wonderful listeners where they can find you on the internet and what they should be maybe checking out in the future what's coming to Eurogamer of yours maybe or some articles that you'd like to let them oh, know about okay uh, well, obviously, everyone, I assume, is already reading Eurogamer every day. Uh, an F5 in the morning, an F5 at lunch, and an F5 just before <laughs> bed. Um, on Twitter, it's uh, at WYP100, which is a really boring uh, abbreviation of my actual name with 100 at the end. Why um, Why 100? Why 100? Because I, I don't know. <laughs> I actually don't know. It's been such a long... I've had it for so long that... I just it's muscle memory. Okay, yeah. If I create a username, it's the same. <laughs> um, I haven't. I actually don't know why. That's you know what it would have been. It would have probably been my first ever Hotmail email address. Yeah, which was it always sort of stems and, from that. And it didn't have WYP. That was already taken. <laughs> so you had to have a number. Yeah. Mine was always seven. Mine was always zero seven or seven. So I totally get that. Right. Like James Bond. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, basically, essentially just James Bond. <laughs> so that's your Twitter handle. What about the uh, sort of maybe articles that are coming up, if you have any, or sort of stuff that they should read that they maybe might have missed? <laughs> well, uh, with Rise of Iron out now, there's going to be some cool Destiny coverage, I think, from us coming up soon. Uh, we'll have a review uh, of Rise of Iron itself, but there's so much more going on in Destiny that there'll be some cool stuff, I think, coming out of that game. Um, God, I'm so tempted that, to play that game. So tempted. Yeah, well, I've laid it out straight. You yeah, have. Good, bad, you have. Ugly. I might have to listen back. I'm not sugarcoating it. And sugarcoating. if I ever find myself tempted, I might have to just listen back and double check. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's. I, I feel like, like I said, you know, you'll love it and hate it. <laughs> but in the end, you won't be able to stop playing. Um, yeah, and uh, I'm trying to keep on top of Street Fighter and any developments with that. The Capcom Cup uh, final is coming up soon, so mm-hmm. hopefully reporting on that. Um, and with FIFA coming out, there's going to be a lot of stuff coming out of FIFA as well. Have a look at the, as we were talking about earlier, the coin selling issue, um, but also like Ultimate Team, how the game plays, any new developments. We're coming up to sort of Christmas time, so it's uh, all the big hitters. Are, uh, hopefully hopefully out. some NX yeah. news as well at some point soon. Watch this space, my friend. Watch this. Space. Oh, I do like that. Considering you guys are the guys <laughs> who sort of 
and the four. Well, that was more more Tom, more my colleague Tom Phillips than me. <laughs> but you got me very excited. Your outlets have got me very excited for the NX as a as a self confessed Nintendo sympathizer. I can definitely look forward. I don't to think some... it'll be long to wait. Oh well, I was sort of hoping it would happen well. But just be just at, well, while we were recording these podcasts. No, while while I was at TGS, but obviously because there were a lot of people there, I could potentially have spoken to you about it, but nothing. Oh, no, I see. Nothing okay. happened, unfortunately. Nintendo don't traditionally like anything to do I, with Tokyo Game Show, so no. Um, I think Nintendo is is fully on board with its Nintendo Direct system. Yeah, which is absolutely fine because I love I love the Nintendo Direct system. Always good, always good to watch. So yeah. yeah, so thank you for listening to this episode of Final Games. Sorry about the break last week. I was at Tokyo Game Show, as I mentioned. Um, but now back to regular scheduling. Also, um, thank you very much. If you didn't know, this podcast, like Wes, got nominated for a GMA. So thank you. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Congratulations yourself as well. And uh, so yeah, so we were, this podcast was nominated in the sort of radio podcast category uh, which is awesome and amazing considering the podcast hasn't been around that long uh, compared to some of the other excellent people who are in it like BitSocket those wonderful guys and IGN and stuff like that so thank you so much for listening to the show that definitely would not have happened if you weren't listening to the show every week uh, which is still just crazy to me so thank you for listening to the 33rd episode of the show if you want to email the show you can it's finalgamespodcast at gmail.com you can also find us on twitter at Final Games Show. You can find me on Twitter as well at Liam B M E. And also we're on iTunes and SoundCloud, and you can do all those wonderful things like rate, subscribe, follow, and all that sort of cool stuff. So until next time, we will see you again. Goodbye. <laughs>